Seriously, well, he's that good. Well, we're a fan of you, Mike. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate Dog that. We, I, I pulled Mike out of the big ballroom, about half a dozen other people saying, hey, we got to get you on, Mike. You're gold every time you're on. You're always gold for us. So we appreciate you making time for yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no problem, guys. I appreciate it. Anything you learned fun. from Kirby and company yesterday? You know, more than anything, it was just kind of an overall uh, sense that, that – uh, that Kirby's that Kirby's in the right place right now, you know, and that George is in the right place right now. I mean, look, it's it's been a well documented, challenging off season, and you wondered, well, what happens when we get to Nashville at SEC Media Days? What is what does Georgia look like? What does Georgia sound like? How does how is Georgia perceived? Right? right. And I felt more of a vibe of joy yeah. than I've felt since the second quarter of the TCU game. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, it was just like. This is what a two-time defending national championship program is supposed to look and sound like. And I give Kirby credit for that because he's at the top of the chain and everything kind of trickles down from the leader. And Kirby was as engaging, uh, as charismatic as I've ever heard him in, yeah. in the time that I've covered him going back to 2018. What'd you make of old uh, Nick Saban there talking cakes and Europe and <laughs> entertaining as always, you know, must see theater, uh, a gift to the league, a seven time national champion. I, I can't get the comparison of Saban and Dale Earnhardt out of my mind <laughs> when I think about the intimidator in yeah. the black number three car. Yeah. Right. And I think about Alabama and Nick Saban and the same effect that you just say it and people say where? And, and even if people don't like Alabama, they always want to know how Alabama did. Right. And it was the same way when we used to turn on a NASCAR race. Who's winning? Where's Earnhardt? <laughs> How'd your favorite team do? What Alabama do today? You know, and, and I think about that. I was at Daytona in 2001 on that fateful day when the Intimidator uh, crashed in the final turn on the last lap, which just – and. And my, the thought that went through my mind, I had to write a column and, about how much I appreciated Dale Earnhardt, what he meant to the sport. And I'd never really stopped and reflected because he was just one of those guys that you think is always going to be there. And of late, the last couple of years, when I, this, this Saban intimidator thing just keeps going through my mind, is I relish the opportunities to listen to him. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunities to watch the program that he's built, what Alabama means to the sec even as georgia has conquered them and won the last two national titles alabama remains must-see theater as does nick saban so wow. i appreciated it I, I love the you know i was talking sitting next to tommy dees a uh, longtime tuscaloosa news guy now he's you know one of the you know one of the senior managers with usa today sports you know clearly one of the industry leaders and, and he said now who in the who else in the world can compare <laughs> football to baking a cake and pull it off i said nobody but he says it's so it's true, right? right? So now there's going to be a bunch of Alabama fans thinking about cake and their favorite players and what coach and, and, and other people like myself yeah. thinking the same thing. Yeah, I'll be thinking about cake all day, Mike. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, I want to ask you, complacency was a popular word yesterday. Yeah. How does this team not get complacent with Georgia? Oh, again, we're going back to yeah. Georgia Bulldogs here. Sure. Well, it, it, you know, here's the thing, and, and – Nobody would ever recommend it or prescribe it, but this offseason has created a lot of challenges, as we talked right. about, and a lot of really challenging reminders of, of you know, what 
real adversity is. Yeah. Loss, sense of loss of a former teammate and recruiting staffer and well-documented January 15th crash. You know, if that doesn't humble you and bring you down to earth, right. uh, you know, I, and, and I think it the program has been under great scrutiny, as all championship programs are. Right. You know, and I go back to 1998 when I was covering Tennessee. And I remember the uh, the very next season, 99. And I think it was, uh, I want to say leading into the season, I came downstairs. I was on the verge of going to a maybe a, a fall ball press conference. And I turned on ESPN. And ESPN said, you know, and next after the break, a story about Tennessee football that's going to, change the face of the sport as we know it and i'm thinking what in the world i cover this team what are they talking about what could this possibly be well it was the story of linda bensel myers and how the tennessee athletic director or excuse me the tennessee athletic department once oversaw athletes academic compliance and tutoring Mm -hmm. and the linda bensel myers was a professor that took issue with that now at that time 40% of the schools in the country had their athletic department oversee the academic compliance. But Tennessee was the national champion. Mm -hmm. And that's what the reporter was able to come up with during his week-long intervention into, intervention's probably not the right word, but his week-long stay in Knoxville when he was there reporting. And I'll never forget, this guy was at one of the practices. We didn't know what he was there for. His name was Tom Ferry. He was a very good investigative reporter. We didn't know what he was there for. He told Tennessee he was there to write a story about how a model program is run. So they opened up all the doors and gave him all the access. And we're watching a scrimmage, and he's asking somebody about who the quarterback is, and he's asking a guy that doesn't even really cover the team, and the answers were terrible. And I'm thinking, this is going to be an awful story. This reporter is terrible. Well, that was all the guys. He was really there to do the investigative reporting on the academics. But, but – Long sidebar there. But the point is, whoever wins the national championship goes under a, a greater degree of scrutiny. And and, yeah. and, be, and, and, and Georgia's a two-time champion. And even though they keep things buttoned up, uh, you know, there has been a rash of speeding incidents that have been documented, right? Yeah. So uh, the, the, the story's there. I can guarantee you that every program in the country is looking at that saying, hey, what does our compliance look like in that area? What, how, are, how are our recruiting uh, rental car programs set up? Everybody is going to scrutinize their program in those areas. How do we deal with speeding? Do we know what kind of car every kid is driving? Should there be uh, some extra uh, education for the kids that are driving cars that go 0 to 60 and 3.5 and top out at 180 miles an hour like a Jeep Trackhawk right. that these kids covet, right? Yeah. So uh, I suppose my thought is, uh, as challenging as an offseason as it's been, I think the Georgia players have certainly uh, had to learn to live under a greater deal of scrutiny. They've probably felt like the media has been after them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm guessing, Mike, that they would probably – maybe circle the wagons right it's right. it's it's george against the world once again for different reasons although i will say the, the players didn't come off that way yesterday they didn't come off as defensive they came off as very responsible but uh, look i think georgia knows what they're up against i mean look they're, they're only a couple plays away from losing two games last year i mean they could have easily lost to missouri easily lost to ohio state and there and then one of the things i love about media and i wasn't there for this but i read the transcript 
did somebody was there a reporter from Kentucky? There was like Kentucky played you guys better than anybody last year. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what, what, did, what did I miss something here? I don't remember that. I don't remember Kentucky playing Georgia better than. But anyway, maybe that was the only game this guy saw. You know, we got over a thousand quote unquote media people here, so who knows who asked the question? I'm not sure. If Kirby was being completely honest, do you think that he would have rather played? Oklahoma, and I, and I realize why they didn't play it and all that, yeah. but the last couple of years, Clemson to open with, they were underdog. Oregon, they weren't sure. underdog against Oregon, but that right. was something, you know, everyone was saying they lost all this. Right. This is going to be a rough start. And right out the gate, they come out, they destroyed Oregon, mm-hmm. and everyone said, all right, well, we got to reevaluate who's number one. They don't have that game this year. Right. Do, do you think, I don't know that's going to hurt them, but I don't think it helps them. Well, under the circumstances, I think this year it does help them this year because the quarterback situation is unsettled because yeah. we really don't know who the quarterback is. Now, Carson Beck is the clear leader in the clubhouse, but until he earns the coach's trust and shows how he can prosper under adversity, I'll give you an example. 2017, Jacob Eason. Mm-hmm. I think everyone recognized that Jacob Eason had a higher ceiling than Jake Fromm. His yeah. arm is huge, still is huge. Yeah. But yet it was Jake Fromm that was the Georgia quarterback moving forward because Kirby felt like he could trust Jake's decision-making more than Jacob Eason. And and I'm not saying that I necessarily don't think that Beck will be the guy, but what I'm saying is it's it's not done. And because they don't play Oklahoma, they can take a different approach to this quarterback situation. I remember Michigan State's Rose Bowl year I covered in, what was that, 2013. I think Mark D'Antonio played three quarterbacks through the first three games. Now, you could argue that bit the Spartans on the ass because they lost at Notre Dame in game four. I think it had more to do with five phantom pass interference penalties that uh, Tommy Reese, the Alabama offensive coordinator, I believe he was the quarterback then, they were the benefactor of at Notre Dame. They get a few calls there now and then. But, But point is, I think that because they don't have that Oklahoma game, I think they can play this quarterback competition out. Now, you can ask me the same question on September 30th. You know, they'll play, they'll play at Auburn, and, and yeah. while I think that Auburn is uh, sneaky good and, and Hugh Freeze is good and sneaky, whatever order yeah. you want to put that in, uh, I, that game is a threat because it will be the first road start for one of those quarterbacks. And Jordan-Hare Stadium is a house of horrors. Yeah. Uh, I said horrors. Don't shame. <laughs> Don't give me that look. I, I saw it. you over there. And, Clip and, that. And, and, <laughs> so I, I think that is a dangerous game Yeah, in that respect. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I think you're the first one that ever talked about quarterback competition. You know, everybody wants to just pencil in bet and, and, sure. and, and that, you know. Hell, they're baking a cake. Well, you got to know, know, you you know? know Kirby, though. Yeah. You know, four out of seven years, he's played more than one quarterback. And and uh, it's very thorough. You know, the thing right. about these defensive-minded – D'Antonio was the same way. Of Another Nick Saban protege, yeah. I might add. The thing about the defensive-minded coach is their attitude is, well, hell, you just coach these guys like they're anybody else. They're <laughs> quarterback, cornerback, linebacker. No. Offensive coaches, you know, spur. Oh, no, no, right. no. This right. is a different – the quarterback is a different – animal it's a different breed Absolutely. it's the same animal it's a different breed though yeah right you, you don't now but the defensive coaches are they're a little bit more tougher minded and well you need to show you know he needs to be able to handle that absolutely send him to the bench or yell at him in front of everybody whereas you know i think about a quarterback whisperer and i see david cutcliffe walking around yeah. and i think about how how uh how david managed his quarterbacks and, and now you better be- believe there was great discipline at tennessee under david cutcliffe i mean right down uh, to the quarter of an inch of where guys lined up and, and getting it right. But you never really saw David Cutcliffe 
you know, lose his junk on a quarterback. And right. he never felt like David Cutcliffe quarterbacks were anything but extremely prepared and polished. Whereas, you know, Kirby, uh, you know, I watched one time against Michigan. Stetson came off the field before halftime. They beaten the heck out of Michigan yeah. that year, three or four times. And he went off on Stetson Bennett like he fumbled five times. And, and at the end, well, what was that all about? Well, he was mad at he didn't call a timeout. Well, wait a minute. Couldn't Kirby have called a timeout? Do you guys remember what I'm, remember that game yeah, I'm talking yeah. about? That would you know. So I, I guess my point is, George manages it differently. There's good competition there. You'll see that play out in September. And I'd be really surprised if we didn't see more than one quarterback start over the course of the season. Really? Okay. Yeah, because of the depth. Yeah. Now we know you know Tennessee well from your time there. Sure. Uh, you got family there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I got three kids there. And we know. You have a relationship with Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. So what, what was your reaction to the NCAA ruling? And everything? Yeah. Did they got it right? or? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what right is. I mean, yeah. I, you know, if, if they were trying to, you know, make an example of Jeremy or, you know, the, 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 the what was it? Someone wrote to the NCAA and threatened to sue him if you punish the team or something like right, that. Yeah. It's like, well, I, I guess we can only do so much Tennessee, so let's just throw it all on Jeremy, you know. I mean, a six-year show cause to me seems extreme. Yeah. Um, and, because that's somebody's livelihood. Right. I mean, could you make your point without ruining somebody's life? Right. And do we, guys, do we really believe Jeremy Pruitt was doing anything that different than anywhere else in the league? If we're being honest about it. And, and I don't know that. It's not like I go, I can list blah, 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 blah. Right. I don't. Or, right. you know, I would, you know, obviously be obligated to report. It's the right thing to do. But I don't know that. But we've all been around long enough. And I think fans, uh, certainly Tennessee fans, have been around long enough. Uh, as have these, you know, fans here in Nashville. Uh, I, I just, it, it seemed extreme. I feel like there's another side to the story we don't know yet. Uh, I don't know that people really want to know it. Yeah. I don't know that anybody really wants that part of the story to get out. I think it's conveniently packaged, put away. Especially Ten- volunteer fans. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, look, I mean, it, listen, I, Tennessee fans, uh, look, these are good times that are yeah. coming. I mean, Tennessee, people, oh, Tennessee's coming. No, Tennessee's here. I've been on that campus. I've seen those facilities. I feel that vibe every time I go back into town. This is 1990s. I'm yeah. getting flashbacks, okay? Now, I don't know if the Vols are going to win a national title this year or next year, but when I think about the success that I see in all the sports and when I think about how the leadership seems aligned from the president to the athletic director into the coaching staff, uh, you know, Tennessee is back where it was. Now, it took some tough times. Um, you know, since Diamond Doug Dickey, uh, you know, left as athletic director, the real problem happened when somebody decided to put the chancellor to oversee athletics. That was an absolute disaster. Uh, you know, I don't need to mention Jimmy Cheek and Jimmy Cheek and Joe DiPietro's name, so I won't. But when you've got poor leadership like that, it can bring an entire program down, yeah. and they did. Yeah. Uh, Butch Jones trying to hire an offensive coordinator, and they say you can't spend more than $500,000. That is ridiculous, yeah. but that's where Tennessee was. Well, we were talking with Matt Hayes yesterday, and he made – I mean, he was kind of joking, but I think he was making a good point for what Tennessee did. You know, what happens if Billy Napier doesn't live up to the expectations, Jimbo Fisher, the smart thing, instead of paying these buyouts, is exactly what Find you said. Cause. Bring Bring the NCAA in. It saved Tennessee some money. It could save some others. And, I mean, could you potentially see that happening? Well, you know – 
Uh, and again, we're not saying Napier's you're cheating. About Billy Napier. We're not saying Jimbo's cheating. I was just having Bruce Pearl flashbacks a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about Tennessee fumbling a Hall of Fame coach away. Not that Rick Barnes hasn't done a sensational job. He has, but, I mean, has anybody done better than Bruce Pearl in Auburn? I mean, could you have ever imagined the day that Auburn basketball, I mean, they I just. They were completely I, irrelevant. I just can't even. And I covered Auburn basketball way back. And when Bruce took that job, I was like, this job's going to kill him. Yeah. He's going to coach so hard. And he's instead he's killed it. Like he didn't they beat like North Carolina and Kentucky in one turn or something yeah. stupid like that. And I should have known he could do it because I watched him do it at Tennessee. But I, I digress. Uh, you know, I, I just had a discussion with some friends from Jacksonville about Billy Napier, and they, they're they're convinced that even if Florida has a losing record this year, that Billy Napier would be back for a third season. Yeah, I don't see it, man. It's easy to say that now, but I can't imagine. Florida, you know, Florida hasn't had a coach have back-to-back losing seasons since the 1940s. Right. I can't even imagine that. And what seems even more crazy to me is that you have got arguably the greatest college football offensive mind sitting there two and a half miles away. Yeah. Steve Spurrier. Yeah. How in the world is he not part of the solution? How in the world do you not consult with Steve Spurrier? I, 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 and yes, I'll admit, I have an interest in Coach Spurrier. Uh, I am the chairman for his coaching award. Yes. And so I've built a relationship up with him over the last couple few years. And I can tell you, he's still Steve Spurrier. <laughs> the, the other part of him that I'll share with you guys is that he is one of the most loyal, uh, warm personalities that I have ever met. I mean, what we saw on Saturdays, and, and again, it's unique that I'm the chairman because I never covered him. Yeah. I always covered the other team. I covered Auburn. I covered Alabama. I covered Tennessee. I covered Georgia. So I, I know of Spurrier from the other side of things. But now, haven't seen what's behind the curtain down there in Gainesville. And, I, and a lot of these 1990s Gators come back for this Spurrier Award. Last year's uh, Sonny Dykes won. Uh, and, and the legend was, uh, was Bob, uh, yeah, Bob Stoops. Uh, you see, you kind of see the magic. And you see the connection. And it really wasn't that much different than when I felt at Tennessee with Al, Al Wilson and T. Martin and yeah. Peerless Price. And, and you guys know, right? You've been around it. I've seen it happen now with Georgia, that connection, that connectivity. Yeah. It takes a coach with great charisma and leadership to, to bring that out. And I just don't think Billy Napier has it. Yeah. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's a good man. But that's not enough. you got to have charisma. And you've got to have a long enough runway. And if you have losing seasons at Florida, that just doesn't cut it. We know that fan base. We know that level of arrogance and self-importance. I mean, they can't hack a, a third year of Billy Napier if they don't have a respectable season and beat a, a Florida State or a Utah or a, or a Tennessee. Right. They just aren't going to go back to being downtrodden. The money people there just won't tolerate it. And the question is, if they could hire any coach they wanted, who would they get if they fired Billy Napier? I've already got him fired. You've already heard <laughs> I've, I've already passed judgment. Sorry, Billy. I could be wrong about all this. He might win 10 games this year. Yeah. All you need to know is that, you know, George's leading returning wide receiver is a guy named Lad McConkie. Yeah. Tennessee fans are like, oh, boy. <laughs> we know he was a Tennessee fan. And he, Jim Chaney never made it to his house. Everybody makes jokes. Jim stopped at a cafe somewhere. No, he didn't. He went to the high school. He just never went for the in-home visit. But Billy Napier is from that hometown. 
really? and yeah. didn't even offer the guy a scholarship. I will say this. Stetson Bennett was headed to play for Billy Napier at Louisiana before Kirby Smart's 11th hour call on signing day in 2019. So at least he recognized Stetson Bennett. Yeah. But he, this is a guy that didn't even recruit a kid from his. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I like the yeah. guy. I know it sounds like I'm picking on him a little bit, but the reality of it is is he didn't do a great job last year, and that's a place you better do a great job. Well, sticking with Florida, five years from now, is Florida, Georgia going to still be at a neutral site? Yeah. I, I know Kirby's not a fan of that. I, you know what? There's about there's 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 enough there's a few people that are, and they're very important people, and there's some fans that are too. But to your point, uh, as competitive as things are, it's just hard for me to imagine. Like, could you imagine if Tennessee and South Carolina played every year in Myrtle Beach, <laughs> or if Alabama played LSU every year in New Orleans? Yeah. I mean, you just you're not going to give up that big game you're just not going to give up an opportunity especially now and i pointed this out and i didn't do this to to take a jab at 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 georgia fans but just to enlighten them you know i look at what what uh your athletic director there uh, danny white is doing and some of the plans for neyland stadium and what they're going to do down there and how it's going to be kind of like the braves ballpark where they're going to put the restaurants and a landing it's going to be an unbelievable vision yeah tennessee is going to jump ahead of so many other programs with what they're going to do around Neyland Stadium. And Philip Fulmer kind of opened it up with the walkway idea that he'd always had, and now we're hearing about restaurants. And can you imagine, guys, what that scene's going to be like when they do that? And everybody can just stay right there around the stadium. And, I mean, I just, you know, as if there's not enough orange and white already. (laughs) I just can't imagine. And meanwhile, George is taking their best game and giving it, given that $45 million of economic impact to northeast right. Florida. You know, I don't know if you've been to the Gainesville Airport lately, but I think they got about 16 <laughs> gates, right? Yeah. Athens doesn't have public flights going in and out, right? Yeah. If you want to look at the schools and the city infrastructure between Gainesville, which is 70 miles from Jacksonville, and Athens, Georgia, it pales considerably. So there's a lot of inner workings and politics behind it. But to your point, common sense would dictate that you're going to want to uh, bring more value to your community where your university is at. I mean, Brock Bowers just told us yesterday a big part of the reason he told he chose Georgia was Athens. Yeah. It's, it, it, it really is an amazing college town. I, yeah. I think it's the best college town in the country. I think it edges out uh, Ann Arbor, right? right. Now, you say Knoxville. Knoxville is a city. Knoxville yeah. is a metropolitan. Knoxville is a major league city that follows a college program right right so that so that's why i don't compare that's, that's apples and orange no pun intended apples and oranges right yeah. but when we talk about college towns you know the auburns the starkfields the oxfords you know athens is so unique i agree uh, with you you've been there I've right been there absolutely athens I mean, better than columbia missouri i'm kidding you <laughs> <laughs> had me going there all right last thing for you mike really appreciate your time the question this, this is the only question dog fans really have yeah do they go three for three for the first time in the ap poll history wow wow you know that's uh i mean the betting guy would say no i mean nobody's done it since minnesota in 1936 you know george has won 27 straight regular season games going back to playing florida and jacksonville uh and and uh, 2020 um there's been so many changes in that program and their personnel i mean jalen carter was like two people yeah. it's like they had 12 guys on the field yeah. because he Game literally wreckers. was well you saw it i mean kirby called him a train wrecker and havoc maker and he was 
and and Kenny McIntosh, I, which I still don't understand how he slipped in the draft, but this guy was like Marshall Falk with yeah. his ability to catch the ball downfield. He was he was a receiver, yeah. and then and then when he needed to be a running back, he was running over people down the stretch. They, Kendall Melton is incredibly talented, but can he catch the, the can he catch the wheel route thirty five yards? Can he beat the linebacker? Do they have it? Darnell Washington. Uh, Agent Zero, uh, Tennessee called him, among other things. Apparently, in one of these reports, uh, was it was a game changer. Six foot eight, two seventy. Yeah. Even though he only caught twenty eight balls, he changed how you had to defend Georgia. Right. When you've got a guy like that, it's an impossible matchup. If you go big, he runs routes on you. If you go small, they truck you, and and he's gone. So the Georgia offense, a lot of people are going to say, "Oh well, Todd Munkin's gone," and, and Munkin was ingenious, no doubt. But they're going to be a more conventional offense. They're not going to have that double tight end with that do-everything-back. Yeah. They're going to be more of a three-wide receiver. I love it. They're transferred from Missouri. I think he's a game-breaker. I think Ladd McConkey is special. They don't have the elite X, though, that they did before a Donnie Mitchell transfer. We've talked about the uncertainty at quarterback. Offensive line is tremendous. But do they have the players that can swing those games, like Missouri, like Ohio State? And the other teams are going to be lined up for Georgia. Right, they're going to know what they're going to oh, get yeah. from the Bulldogs' yeah. defense, and and every year it gets a little bit tougher. That's why no teams ever three-peated. So if you're asking what, where I would bet my money, I would say no. But it's I can't pick a game and say that's, that's going to be the game. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we, I mentioned Auburn only because it's on the road and only because it's first road game. A lot of people point to Tennessee. I think that's too obvious. I think yeah. and, and Kirby just. Kirby's got an edge for Tennessee, man. I mean, he'd never beat the Vols. Playing, playing yeah. Never beat the Vols as a player. Yeah. And and I've talked to players that, that Coach Smart's a little different that week, okay? <laughs> and Auburn and Tennessee bring out the best or the worst in them, depending on how you look at it. Right. And, you know, that's a very, and, and now this, this this Tate Ratledge kid, my goodness. He's oh, gonna, man. He'll never hear the end of it talking about how <laughs> Neyland Stadium was the best stadium in the league. And, yeah. and you better believe that'll probably be his best game of the year. And but Tennessee's got some great potential. And Coach right. Heupel's obviously an unbelievable coach. And we'll see what happens with their quarterback sit- and their defense, by the way. Yeah. We know the fans are going to show up. Right. right. We know what the oh, environment's yeah. going to be like. But I almost feel like that's one that's going to be circled for Georgia. So I'd say no, but I, I can't tell you. I can't say, well, that's the game. Because game by game by game, you say they, quote, unquote, should win all of them. Yeah. Um, but, but, again, I'll flash back to Tennessee. I'll flash back to 1999 and, and tell you guys the story. So Florida had lost eight of their 11 starters on defense. And Tennessee brought back Jamal Lewis and Travis Henry and, and Chad Clifton and Cozy Coleman and all sorts of college football Hall yeah. of Famers. T. Martin was back for another year. And he said, oh, my gosh, they're, they're going to win another national title. All they lost was Al Wilson and Peerless Price, two pretty good players, but they had so much back. Right. Raynock Thompson and Eric Westmoreland and, and uh, I think Dion might have already left. It was Dion, no, Dion Grant was back. Yeah, yeah. They were so loaded. You just knew they were going to go back-to-back. But they're playing Florida. It's the second game of the season down the swamp. And you're in this guy named Alex Brown. You guys remember? You yeah. know what I'm oh, this? Unfortunately, he had, he still had five, have nightmares. He had five sacks in the game. Yeah. Could not figure out what was going on. I'm trying to remember the name of the right tackle. Do you Josh, remember what uh, T. Martin said leading up it, to that game? Was it Josh Tucker? Was that the name of the right tackle um, for that game? What did, yeah. what did T. say? He said something like Gainesville. It's no different than playing in Lexington. And they played that. He, they played that all week long on the radio. Oh I remember that. Now you got that, Milton out there. That, was, that wasn't it. That wasn't what did it. Did you guys ever hear why Alex Brown had five sacks no. in that game? Oh, I get to tell you a, a Tennessee secret. This is good. So Chad Clift, or excuse me, uh, Spencer Riley was the center. 
and T was the quarterback, and they'd worked out a little deal where right before T would say hut, he'd, he'd give a little tap. So it was hut, right? Alex Brown picked up on that. So the ball was moving on that tip mm. before T would say hut. So that's why the right tackle, and, and I think, oh, gosh, I don't know if it's, but I remember at one time, Cozy Coleman came back to huddle and said, and then Cozy dropped back to try to block this rush end from his guard spot because he had a better angle, right? But that's what it was. They were tipping off the snap for Alex Brown. And that little detail took Tennessee off the rails for a national championship. They beat Florida without that. There's no question. You could call. You could talk about Jamal Lewis not picking up a yard. But, again, T called an audible and Florida pointed right where he was going. I mean, Florida did great. My point is this. Little things like that can, can completely derail a season. Mm-hmm. And... Georgia has been on the right side of those breaks the last two years. But they'll tell you. They'll tell you about second and 26 mm-hmm. in 2017 when Tua looked off the safety and, mm-hmm. and, and hit uh, Devontae Smith. They'll tell you they should have won that game. They'll tell you about, uh, you know, 2018 and, and what went wrong. That was a very good Georgia team in 2018. Capable. They, they lose their outside linebacker to injury, and the next guy up still doesn't know how to play contain. You know, little things can make a difference. And, the last two years, Georgia's gotten the breaks, Mike. And for them to win a third title, they got to get the breaks again. And in the SEC, you know, usually the odds kind of catch up to you, just like yep. they did Tennessee in 1999, just like they did Alabama. Uh, it'll be fun to see. Uh, it's been a historic program to cover. I've covered three programs now that had undefeated season. I covered 93 Auburn when they went 11-0. I covered the 13-0 Vols. And now last year's Georgia team, and I can tell you, Every one of them, the, the consistent theme was they got the breaks. Yeah. And it's just, you're just, it's like sitting at the poker table, man. You know, some nights you're red hot and you're thinking yeah. you're a really good poker player. Other nights you just, you can't get the cards. It doesn't matter what you do. Right. So there's there's a lot of fate involved. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just say Absolutely. that. I really yeah. appreciate it, Mike. Before yeah. you go, tell the audience, where can they find sure. all your work? Well, they can find me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32, and they can read me at DogNation.com, and I'll be on uh, the SEC Network again on Thursday nights on the Fine Bomb Show. And, and whenever you guys will give me an opportunity to sit down with you, I love to do that too. Absolutely. So. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was great.